Hello, and welcome to the Redemption Tempe podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. We're continuing this week on our sermon series called Exiles on the Book of Daniel. And we have a, a really exciting guest uh, from outside of the country that I'm excited to get to here in just a second. But uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Greg Lindsay. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm joined by Ricardo. Rick, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. Yeah, so uh, I have the great benefit this week of uh, dealing with a cold. So you get to deal with my nasally uh, voice. So Rick, I'm going to let you take a majority of this, but we're continuing in uh, Daniel 3 this week. And our big uh, cultural idol that we're talking about is nationalism with the gospel truth that replaces that of a kingdom mindset or a kingdom focus. So um, Ricardo, do you want to kind of like uh, give us a really quick synopsis of Daniel 3, and then we'll get to One, our guest for today, and, and we'll jump in. Yeah, so first of all, good to be on the podcast um, again. Um, so we're, as we're looking at Daniel 3, and as we've looked at Daniel 3, essentially, when you get to chapter 3, you have Daniel's friends, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and the Bendigo. And one of my jokes that I like to use is in the church I grew up in, predominantly black church, we used to say Shadrach, Meshach, and one bad Negro. Um, and that was our no, you, you probably shouldn't say it, but for the people who can, we, we get it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and these are, these are Daniel's friends who like Daniel, who have been ripped away from their country are living in, um, Babylon under a different reign, a different rule. There's no temple for them to worship God. Um, their, their, their normal understandings of what it's like to be a Jewish young man, um, and young woman, th- those things are all stripped away. And they're, they're like Daniel, um, trying to figure out how do they, how, do they, how are they faithful to the Lord in a land that doesn't worship their king? And so um, we, we're drawing from their lives and what it looks like for us today. In a lot of ways, what we talked about, there's a lot of things within um, America and especially American Christianity that we, we might assume that are still present, like the belief that people believe in a God, the people that believe the same moral qualities that we have or same values. And those things are increasingly being stripped away. And so what does it look like to be faithful to Yahweh? in a world that has multiple different gods in it, which they're faithful to. So as we look at Daniel chapter three, there's this scene where Daniel, or excuse me, King Nebuchadnezzar is built this statue and he's got his minions that are going, you know what? Everybody should bow down to you. And when the trumpet sounds, everybody should bow down to you. And there's this form of worship. And it's not just worship a king, but it's worshiping Babylon, this great, great nation. And and this is gonna essentially um, set the scene for the people of God of going, what do we do? There's some things in culture that we're able to um, assimilate, if we can use that word, that it's not a big issue in our faith. And there's certain things that we go we, this far and no further. And this is one of them, that we're called to worship God and God alone. And what ends up happening is um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they're confronted with what are we going to do in this moment when the sound and the trumpet, when everybody is singing essentially like the nation's anthem. And we'll talk more about that. But what you're supposed to do in that is not just say, hey, we're thankful to be a part of this country. We're thankful for the men and women who have served for us, whatever language they would have used at that time. They're saying, no, no, bow down and worship. And it's like, whoa, whoa, that's, that's a little too far. And so what you see is they don't bow down and they're willing to accept whatever it is that, that, that comes their way. In this particular case, to be thrown in the fiery furnace, um, to be burned. And what we see is there's a rescuing of God and a protecting of them in that moment. Um, but the thing we're really talking about today is what does it really look like for us to be faithful citizens of the country in which we live, to care and respect the history and traditions, no matter how good or how bad they are, 
to respect the leaders, to say that, you know, in our case, you know, I'm proud to be American, you know, where at least I know I'm free. The things that we're taught as kids to saying in classrooms and public schools and so forth, how do we do that at the same time to say, Jesus is Lord. I want to worship him with my entire, the entirety of my life. And that means I will bow down to no one other than my, my, my father. Hmm. And so that's, that's the question that's on the table. It is what does it look like to follow Jesus um, in this sense where everything is screaming at us um, to push towards nationalism? Now, I just want to just give a quick definition of what we're, we're saying nationalism. When we say nationalism, it's an ex- extreme form. That's the sense to look at America as, as superior, um, as a, a sense of exceptionalism that we are, we are better than, than all. And just by being an American makes us better than every other country. That nationalism, in a sense, puts the country and everything above everything else. Um, there's an extreme loyalty, not just the things of being loyal or, or Thanksgiving and so forth, but there's, it's to its extreme to the point where America becomes the center of all things um, in the world and our faith um, and so forth. And then particularly as it, as it relates to Christians, is the merging of the American flag and our belief in the gospel. That's good. Well, that, that really tees us up um, for an easy episode. I mean, this is a really easy topic. I think there's, you know, not much discussion about it. So I think, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's good. I'm excited to, to jump into this. Our guest today that I'm excited to introduce is One Mokadle. Uh, and I told One before we jumped on the podcast, he, he came and hang out with uh, us here um, last year, Ones from Rooted Fellowship in Pretoria, South Africa, uh, and I told him before we jumped on the the podcast that I was going to be able to play the the dumb American uh, today. And so, uh, One, I tried to pronounce your name uh, accurately. Um, so I hope I did okay. One, it's good to have you, man. How are you doing? It is. Uh, it's awesome to be with you guys. Um, and let me say, you did a good job. You you were close. You were close, and uh, that means a lot to me that you would take time to try to figure out how to pronounce it. Um, but yeah, it's exciting to, to be with you guys uh, in this way. Thankful for technology. Um, really enjoyed my time with you when I was out that way and uh, really excited to jump into you know, what God is doing uh, your neck of the woods and uh, through your community. Say, hey, One, uh, so when you said that Greg was close, why don't you go ahead and give me the, the, pronounce, the, the correct way to pronounce your name? Sure, so let me permit you well, permit me to uh, aid you in the proper pronunciation of my first name and last name. Uh, my first name is One, and my last name is Mokatle. So, uh, Mokatle. yeah, you gotta you gotta really dig deep back of your throat to get that ha sound, and then uh, you gotta let the lips really take over when you make the e sound, um, and so uh, you get a Mokatle. Mm, that's good the way the way you just the way you described that man <laughs> all right well here's what here's what i got for you we, we we brought you on for this for this reason man one one your time um here with us was very just uh helpful for someone outside of the country to be able to get a lot of the things that are happening in our country we talked about um culture we talked about different christian culture we talked about race and reconciliation and and you guys have a fair deal of uh, right in your country um, of, of a lot of that happening in South Africa. And I, I felt like I was able to resonate you uh, with you as a black man in South Africa and as a black man in America. There was a lot of similarities. Um, but what I was, one of the things that I was intrigued by and really impressed was just your knowledge of America. Because I don't have the same knowledge of South Africa. 
And I wanted to be able to have an outside perspective on nationalism of someone who's not trying to choose a particular side and who's not an American to be, but understands American culture really well, um, has spent a lot of time in American culture to be able to speak into some of the, um, you know, some of the things in which we, we find ourselves dealing with. And so the first question I have for you is when you, when you hear the word nationalism and, and particularly Christian nationalism, what are some of the things that come to your mind? That's a great question. Um, and sadly, when I hear the word nationalism connected to Christianity, my perceptions aren't that great. Uh, it's usually an identity that is anchored in the things of this world, uh, earthly uh, idols. Um, it's this idea of trying to make sure that I am more identified by where I'm from here in this world, other than the fact that I'm a child of God and my identity is rooted in the kingdom of God. And so my, my perceptions of nationalism you know, aren't always that great, especially when you're thinking about trying to create or wanting to see the gospel create a community that reflects people from all backgrounds, one has to take into consideration that, that the gospel breaks down the barriers that create these uh, identities that are anchored in, in earthly idols. And so it's, it's, it's never really a good thing, though at the same time I understand the idea of saying I belong to this particular country, uh, that I was either born there or um, it is now my home. I get that. I get the idea of wanting to identify yourself with a place, the, the challenge is when you allow that to be bigger than the fact that your citizenship is in the kingdom, um, that, that ends up just with really, really bad implications. Yeah, so if you're thinking about an exile, someone who's essentially a dual citizen, someone who's got, in particular in Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's case, they have citizenship in Jerusalem, but they also have citizenship in Babylon, and they live in Babylon. So what is a way forward in terms of faithfulness um, as someone who's a citizen of the kingdom of God that is breaking in in the person and work of Christ in the spirit, but is not yet here fully? So is there a way to be a follower of Christ, have a great loyalty and love for your nation, and yet be completely rooted in the kingdom of Christ? Yeah, that's brilliant. That's a great question. I think the way forward is, is to think of yourself as an ambassador. Um, Paul talks about it in, the, in Corinthians, the idea of seeing yourself as one who's been sent to go live in the current land that you find yourself in, uh, to understand that God has placed me in this particular time and season uh, where I find myself, but at the same time that this is ultimately not my landing place, this is not my final home, that I have been sent from another place and I'm representing that other place. And so when we think about it through the lenses of the kingdom, that my home is the kingdom of God. And so I am here as an ambassador wanting to represent God and his kingdom, how his kingdom functions. And to do so, one has to acknowledge that where I find myself, there is incredible brokenness, that, that there's a lot that needs to be restored, that there are people who need to be reconciled back to the Father. And so I come in seeing what God sees. Often we, we pray this uh, God, would uh, would my heart be broken for what breaks yours? Um, it's a it's a costly prayer. You know, I often say to people, be careful when you pray for that, because if God was to show you what he sees, you would see incredible brokenness. In all of God has created, there's a lot of good, but at the same time, so much brokenness. 
And so what you're doing is you're, you're entering into those spaces going, I know what this should be like. I know what an environment looks like, a community, a family. I know what that looks like when it's under the authority and lordship of God. And so you're coming in going, well, how can I give people a taste of that? How can I become a trailer attraction to the great grand movie that awaits us in the kingdom of God? And so I think thinking of yourself as an ambassador, going, I'm, I'm here for this particular season and in this time, but at the same time also going, I'm here representing uh, the God uh, who loves us more than we could ever imagine. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. So I'm going to deal with some people on different spectrums of this conversation. Um, I feel like in a lot of ways, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grossly generalize in this, but there are some people in our country who don't like it almost seems like they're embarrassed to be Americans and it's almost like they walk around with this sense of like, not that I hate America, but there's a sense of going, ah, I don't really care too much for it. I'd rather be in another country. I'd rather be in another place. And yet they are fully Americans living in America and they seem to have like no concern for it. As a follower of Christ, what does the gospel speak to that? For those who seem to have no concern for their country, for their leaders, um, for the people God's put in place and so forth. I want to be sensitive uh, in answering this question because I can sometimes come across as a little harsh, uh, especially here in South Africa, because we're dealing with similar things. You were, you were right uh, in your introduction um, of how similar our contexts are. And so like you've just described, we have folks here who, who do the very same thing. They, they recognize the challenges that South Africa faces or even Africa and then begin to long to be somewhere else and so kind of disconnect from what's going on here. What I would say to them uh, is that you're in doing so, you're kind of putting aside the mandate that God has given us, uh, that we are called to be, to be fruitful where we are, that we are called to uh, make sure that we can see flourishing happening uh, in all aspects of life. This is what was given to Adam and Eve. Um, if you think of the great commandment that we're to love God with everything, uh, and then we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And, and so, and, and this is given to us so that we might see human flourishing, that we might uh, experience shalom, if you will, uh, just a piece of it, a slice of it, because we understand that that would be fulfilled when Jesus returns and restores all things. And so we are put here on earth to bring uh, bits of shalom, this human flourishing where we find ourselves. And so when you uh, go, you know, I'm just going to disconnect from everything that's happening around me and, and long for something else. You're ultimately longing for a place that is broken as well. You, you're not longing for the kingdom of heaven to come as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, um, that we are to, to cry out to our father in heaven uh, and, and then to ask that, that what is being experienced in heaven would be experienced here. So we're bringing shalom here. And so when you just kind of check out, uh, to put it mildly, is, is you're going, well, I'm going to completely disregard this mandate that God has given me. If he says, go and make disciples of all nations, again, that's, that's that mandate being given to us to go where you are, seek shalom, seek the prosperity of, of the village, of the city of the neighborhood, of the workplace uh, where you find yourself because you are on mission when you do that. You are participating 
in the mission that God has by grace invited us to be a part of. And, and so to reject that mission, uh, one has to ask the question, uh, have you understood the gospel? Um, so, so that kind of sounds like the idea of the, the grass is greener on the other side, but God is calling us where we are to water the grass in the place that we are, as opposed to longing for that greener grass somewhere else that isn't even yeah, there. That's, that's good. Mm. Yeah. And so, so that's one side of it is that there's a people who see the, the, the ills in our country that see some things that have been broken and structures and institutions and like, man, this is, this is not good. And I feel like they have a sense of going, so we're done with you, America. And it's like, whoa, I don't, the gospel doesn't just give us that to say we're just done with people. But on the flip side, you have followers of Christ and they, they, they almost um, play down some of the ills and some of the things that, that, uh, that has been done in our country. And, and um, in, many, in many cases, our country has been a part of or you know, produced and so forth. And yet they take their Bible, their flag, and they're kind of mixed together. And so what it means to be a Christian um, when it comes to nationalism, like, of course, you're going to be someone who's for your nation, like um, almost to the point where they don't see any of the ills. And so they are so for America that there is this exceptionalism that is being given to America. Um, and as a follower of Christ, to, to be a follower of Christ in some ways in this kind of strand, in this kind of uh, lane is to believe in Jesus, believe in your Bible, and to be like almost like garbed in your American flag. What would you have to say to that? Or what does the gospel say to that? You know, for folks who, who, who land in that place, and, and I'll be honest, sometimes I find myself there as well. Um, I usually say this to my congregation, that uh, if, I'm, if I'm pushed, if I'm pushed hard enough and my eyes aren't on the gospel, um, I will I will choose myself or I will choose folks that look like me. I will try to look for uh, identity uh, where I find myself and, and, and the idea of, of nationalism in the negative um, will will rear its its ugly head. And so what I would say to them is when one does that, when I do that, it's when I've lost the ability to to critique uh, if I was to use that word to critique, my context to critique my my country to c- critique my culture and to, and actually what I'm saying is that um, my culture my my ethnicity my country my continent is perfect uh, it's better than uh, anyone else because uh, we we are the standard if you will but there's a there's a phrase I, I sometimes say. Uh, and it's funny because my wife will often quote me on it, is, is that no, no race has a monopoly on sin. Um, no, no country has a monopoly on sin. Um, and so the flip side of that is we can easily point to others and go, yeah, that, that place, that's the worst place in the world. You know, God, God's almost forgotten about that place. There's no saving that country or those people or that culture. Uh, we are... We are the chosen ones. We are the perfect ones. And forgetting that, no, we're no different. It's just that by grace, we've turned to Jesus and we look to him as Lord and Savior. And so you lose the ability to to critique your own context. You lose the ability to be honest about where you find yourself. You lose the ability to uh, point out the injustice that uh, many folks would experience that maybe you don't because you aren't 
you aren't engaged, right? You're unaware. You permit me to use this word. You're ignorant. Um, and, and the gospel doesn't call us to that. The gospel calls us uh, to be mindful of where we are. The gospel calls us to, to love and to serve. And, and if you're going to love and serve, then you need to engage. Um, you cannot love and serve a place if you have not engaged it. If you're unaware of uh, what people are experiencing, you know, how, how then are you loving and serving them? You, you're almost imposing yeah. what you think they need. And what you end up creating is this benevolent oppression that we see all around the world. That's yeah. really good. And I think this actually lobs up a softball that I'm curious to get both of your guys' thoughts on. This idea of engaging is it's two-way, it's symmetrical, right? It's not just me pouring out and that's how I'm going to help you. And it's not just you pouring out and you helping me, but it's engaging. It's this two-way thing. So I think a lot of it has, there's a big component of this that has to have a listening aspect that I think can be foreign, um, especially when there's heated issues. Uh, it, it I, I'm immediately thinking of this Colin, Colin Kaepernick thing. And, um, with Nike recently, uh, you have some people that are, that are lauding it and celebrating it. And then there's other people that are burning their Nike shoes. Um, in general, I mean, we could talk about that all day, but the, the bigger component of this that I feel like I'm seeing is there's not listening on either side of the equation, people are getting really angry at both sides. There's a lot of straw man arguments or, or like assumptions of this is what you're saying when you believe this thing or when you do this action, but there's not really like, there's not listening. Um, and so I think part of being engaged in where ha- God has us is not only doing his work and being his light, but it's also listening. Uh, and, and part of being able to listen well is uh, kind of a stretching of yourself, you're, you're going to be challenged. Um, and so what does that look like? I'm curious from both of you guys' perspectives, where God has us, how do we listen well, uh, but be anchored in the gospel and then enter in with, with truth uh, and love? Yeah. Um, yeah. Just for the listeners, Greg and I, though we are here in Tempe right now, we are not in the same room. And so I think that's interesting because I just pulled up um, my notes here for, for a question. And I was going to go, we got it to something and say something on this Nike Kaepernick conversation without necessarily directly addressing Nike or Kaepernick or whatever it may be. So anyways, I, I'm glad that you, that you put that up. Hey, Onan, do you, are you familiar with this, uh, this Nike campaign? Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to let you go. And then, and then I'm going to jump in because I may have a few thoughts myself. Great. I'm going to listen. Jump in. Let me so I may not. I may not address um, the Kaepernick situation. Uh, I'm, I'm aware of it. Uh, uh, I, I love it. Um, so I'll put myself out there. I'm interested to hear what you would say, seeing as you know it's happening where you are. But what I'll do is I'll use it to to kind of give uh, an example of what we do uh, because we have similar things. You know, we have we run into similar situations, and you you spoke about you know when talking about how do we listen, we need to listen better. I believe that that will only happen when we create safe environments where folks can can breathe. Uh, it, that's kind of how we talk about it here is uh, we need to create spaces where I can walk in and, and maybe I've had a long day, maybe I've read something, maybe I've experienced something, and I can just breathe. And just be in a space where I know that what I'm about to say is not going to be 
It's not going to be judged. It's uh, Someone's not going to try to stop me midway and go, hold on, but what about X, Y, Z? Uh, someone's not going to try to fact check me. Uh, and not to say those things aren't important. They're necessary for conversation. But we also need spaces where we can just breathe. And I believe that the, the church, and here's where, you know, I would say the church is, is failing, so big C church, is that we should be the ones creating these spaces. Like the, the everyone should be looking to us and going, how are they able to do that? How are they able to, to gather folks from all different backgrounds who have different opinions and different narratives? Uh, because they'll see the, the, the Colin Kaepernick thing from different perspectives because of their narratives. How are they able to get these folks in the same room and let them breathe and let them just, just say what they're feeling, what they're experiencing, what they're thinking. Uh, and then once we do that, then we can point everyone to the gospel. We can point everyone to the cross and go, okay, what, what is the biblical response? Uh, what would Jesus call us as a community to do? Now, the, I believe the challenge is we, we can't even get there because I'll walk into a room as a black person and we're maybe talking about something that's, that has racial implications and go, I need to be sensitive because I don't want to hurt the white folk in this room. And so I'm going to hold back. And so instead of fully breathing, what I'll do is I'll, I'll take like a, I'll breathe just a little bit, you know, and then I'll hold the rest in. That, that's going to hurt me and the community. Um, there's no doubt about that. And so what we end up doing is then I'll go, it, it becomes easier for me to go breathe with my black brothers and sisters. Cause I, cause I'll go, well, they get me. And, and sometimes it's with my black brothers and sisters who, or my black brothers and, and sisters who aren't, who aren't in the faith. And, and I'm going, man, how, how is that beneficial to, to this human flourishing that we're hoping to achieve? Because what they might say to me may not point me to the gospel. I need to be able to do that with my brothers and sisters in the faith, regardless of what ethnicity that they are. And that can happen because they allowed me to breathe. Uh, and so we do that regularly in our staff meetings where something will happen uh, here in South Africa and, and I'll walk in and I'll be upset. And, and the other two pastoral guys, um, they're white, white South Africans, and they've created a space for me where I can just say it. And, and it's, it's sometimes it's hard for them to hear. And, and, but they're going, brother, we want you to breathe. And once I've exhaled, they'll go, okay, then they might breathe a bit depending on what the situation is. And then at the end we go, okay, cool. What does Jesus call us to do? Um, but we're not doing that. We're interrupting one another while folks are sharing. We're Sometimes we're not even listening. We're coming up with arguments, counter arguments. We're trying to defend ourselves. We're, it ends up just being a mess. And so the world looks at us looks at the church and goes, you're no different from us. In fact, you guys are worse than us. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's, that's a little bit, I mean, I'd love to hear how you, what you guys are thinking about the Colin Kaepernick thing, but, but, but that's what we do when we run into similar situations here. Rick, I'm going to let you finish, uh, but really quick on that ornate, that I think that's really good. And the thing that was striking to me, even in what you were saying, uh, I feel like we defend ourselves. We fight about these issues because we feel like if we don't, we are going to lose something. We have something to lose if we don't win. And, and I think on this issue, on all these issues, like God's bigger than us and God is working his grand narrative and we are parts of that. We don't necessarily have to win for him. He's going to win. And so I think 
that that concept of letting people breathe, uh, being able to have a space to listen to engage well uh, is really helpful. All right, Rick. It's yeah, all right. yeah. I, th- that was that was really good. I mean, even as you're talking in my body, I felt my chest just kind of come at ease um, because you're on to something. I'm gonna tell you who's winning in this whole conversation. Nike's winning in all of this. I mean, we're 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 a Christian church that basically no one knows about. And somehow we're using Nike right now. I mean, they're getting so much free promo, it is out of control. <laughs> but I'm going to go ahead and quote this, this, um, the, the picture that you have of Kaepernick's face and the quote that Nike has. And it says, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. And, and I think as a believer of Christ, what you just said, Oni, is it like, it is, it is going like, because of our belief in the, and the risen Savior and what he's doing and restoring um, heaven and earth and, and uniting heaven and earth and men and women and, and people to God and, and ethnicities to each other. There is something new in this new society that he has created that we need to step into and we have it. So as it deals with this, here's what I feel. Um, and, and I got to I got to bring my own personal like story to this and not just like, an you know, someone from a different country or from a different world. Like, so I do come at this as a 35 year old African-American male who swims in waters that are predominantly white culture. And you go, well, is this issue a black or white issue? It's not, but somehow it's been, it's been, it's been retold this way. And so I feel like the, the narrators of this story, um, whoever they may be, they're, they're giving us a story and they're making us choose one side or the other. And so when I hear it, it's going, okay, Either you are going to care about this country and about those fallen soldiers and those who put their lives in danger daily um, to protect us, to be a part of this country. Like e- those men and women, like either you're going to care for them or you're not going to care for black people. All right. Or you're going to care about the social justice issues as it relates to b- black people and particularly African-American males. Um, and you're going to care about that and you're going to lean in. But you do not care at all about America. You don't care about the military. You don't care about those who protect this country. You don't care. And those are those are the two different um, narratives that you're given. Okay, choose a side. Which one are you going to choose? And it's like, wait, it is far more complex and nuanced than that. And 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 what's happening is, I feel um, when you read one particular article, you find yourself believing the lie from the enemy. Oh, they're wrong. You better choose this side. You knew, you read another article and you're going, they're wrong. You better choose this side. And you're getting your, we're getting our narrative from this culture and from this world when the gospel script flips the script. You know what I mean? No pun intended, but it's way different than that. It's not one or the other. It's, it's Christ and being able to be present in both narratives um, to hold out the hope of the gospel, if that makes any sense. And so I find, I find myself torn in it. And so uh, particularly what it looks like in listening. It's listening to what people are actually saying um, and and what not what you thought they said, what what their posture, not what their posture communicated. Listen to what they're actually saying and then um, and be able to move from there. And then on the other side, listen to what people are actually saying. So here's here's what my experience was like um, this particular week or last week. I, I listened to and read um, an article, a couple articles on some um, widows of some fallen soldiers and how they were just disgusted and upset and disappointed with Nike for choosing Colin Kaepernick um, for this particular ad. And I resonated with them and I wanted to listen to them. But my flesh wanted to go, 
yeah, but this is not about that. Well, no, no, no. But then I'm like, well, no, no, let me just listen to them. They've lost their husbands because their husbands did sacrifice it all to protect our country. And, um, and I listened, I thought, man, they have some valid, valid, valid points. And I, I resonate with them and I can see why they'd be upset. You know what? They're allowed to be upset with Nike. They're allowed to disagree with Colin Kaepernick and they're allowed to do all those things and not be racist, right? Um, on the flip side, I'm listening to people going, this, 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 this taking a knee or whatever posture that, you know, Kaepernick has started. It's not just, it's not at all saying we don't respect these men and we don't respect these women. That's not what we're saying. We're trying to use a particular form when all eyes are on people to be able to say there's an issue in our country that needs to be dealt with. And the way I think about it is this way. I, I coach a lot of youth sports. And what happens when a player is injured, both teams take a knee. And people and the proper assistance is given to the player, the athlete who is hurt. Everybody remains on a knee until that player is lifted up and carried off the field or gets up and walks off the field. Then everybody stands up and they clap. In some ways, what Colin Kaepernick, what I see that he's trying to do, now, I don't know Colin Kaepernick. I don't even know all of this. I'm saying in some ways it's going, okay, we want to acknowledge there are bodies on the ground and we want people to take a knee to acknowledge it so that proper attention and care can be given there. Um, and when that is it's taken care of, then there's a standing up for all to be able to applaud the, 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 the work that's been done to help this particular individual. Now, in this case, it's more than just an individual. So I feel like on both sides of the arguments, they're both very, 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 very valid. And as a follower of Christ, I am, I want to talk to the people who are on the side who are saying no one cares about the military. They don't care about these fallen women. I want to be able to speak their story in a way that humanizes them to the people who are saying black lives matter. And likewise, I want to listen and, and lean against the things that are of, of justice and particularly social justice towards the African-American lives and particularly African-American males in this case. And I want to be able to tell their story to a way to my brothers and sisters who don't get it that humanizes them. And that way we have human people telling human stories and, and light of the gospel of Jesus Christ that go, I may still wildly and vastly disagree with you. And yet I'm going to be one with you. And so on a, the way that you describe the breathing thing and allowing each other to breathe, that is the space that needs to be created in the Christian culture. But what's happening is I look at someone, I judge and go, they may be someone who may not agree with me. I don't have the capacity to have this conversation with them. So I'm just not going to have it at all. And likewise, that is happening. So we are still worshiping in the same proximity space, but we are not worshiping at all in the space in which we're letting each other inhale and exhale all over each other that we, um, that we are living in, in faithful so, community. Yeah, really, really That's really good. good. And just to add a little bit to that, the, one has to recognize um, that this inhaling and exhaling, this breathing that we're talking about is often very ugly because of history, because of experiences. And so a lot of leaders just don't want to do it. It's, 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 because of its ugliness, it's just we don't want to. We don't want to do it. The the bitterness and the anger, the shame and the guilt that can come from it is just so overwhelming that that we just we don't want to enter into those spaces. I, I, I'm saying this as one who who regularly enters into these spaces, having a, a very reflective church and recognizing the the history that we come from. You let people breathe. 
I mean, just for a second, sometimes I go home going, what on earth have I done? But God gives us that space. And how do we know that? He sent Jesus. And and you're right that the church needs to be leading in this. I mean, you when you said it, it hit me. I was like, you're right, Nike. Nike's winning in this. Like they, their, their voice is the one that's been heard the most. And yet if we are the church, then shouldn't we be, you know, screaming Jesus? Like shouldn't he be the one that, that folks hear from us the most as opposed to trying to figure out where can I, what side can I take that is most right or most politically correct or that protects, if we're talking about nationalism, that protects my my nationalism. I mean that when you said it, bro, it 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 was like I was being convicted. So that was really good, really really good. That's good. So if I'm thinking about if I'm thinking about like leaning in, moving forward, because I'm looking at Shadrach, I'm looking at uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these dudes get get they get delivered by the Lord, right? They have a they have an encounter with the pre-incarnate Jesus in the midst of the fire in the midst of the fire and they don't leave they don't leave babylon they don't go hey thanks jesus get us out of here they go back to their babylonian lives as people who are faithful to yahweh and so as we move like and progress forward because we're not for most of us we're not leaving america and we want to be able to love this country that god has placed us we, and we want to we want to be able to love it because of how loved we are in the lord only i would love for you and i'll give my thoughts here of going like what what way do you see forward for us to look at a shadrach Meshach, and abendigo and going hey um, there are certain things that we're going to do with this country and celebrate with you. And there are certain things that we have to say no to. Like, we're not going to bow down to the idols. Um, but moving forward, we're still Babylonians. We're Jewish Babylonians, and we believe in the kingdom of God. But we also understand that Nebuchadnezzar is king as well. How, like, what ways would you have for the church moving forward? I believe it's seeking, you know, the welfare and the prosperity of the context that you find yourself in. And that being anchored in the gospel, right? So, so we speak of shalom, this universal flourishing. It's seeking that because in that moment, what you're doing is you're constantly asking the question, how can I be loving and serving to the person next to me and not always just thinking for myself? How can this benefit the person next to me? And the greatest benefit that anyone can receive is giving their life to Jesus, is, is becoming a Christian, is surrendering everything to the Lord Jesus. That's the greatest benefit that that anyone can receive. And, and so one has to constantly be asking the question, what can I do to, re- to, to reflect that, to show that, to reveal that to folks who are running after all these different things, hoping to find life and meaning in them? And, and that will, I believe, change the way you do everything, the way you work, uh, the way you engage with your family, the way you engage in your neighborhood. If you're constantly asking the question, how can I reveal more of Jesus where I am? And then recognizing that sometimes it's going against the popular culture. It's it's not bending the knees. It's going, uh, I'm not going to worship uh, the, the king, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, to worship these idols. I'm, I'm going to stand and go, no, I'm standing for Jesus. And here's what it looks like. And, and it's going to look weird. You know, we, we forget sometimes that we, as Christians, have always been a people who lived on the, on the fringes. 
you know, we, we were those who always looked at as the strange, the peculiar, those who did life differently. And yet at the same time, where folks were willing to lay down their own preferences for the sake of the kingdom of God, God uses in a powerful and profound way. This happens over and over and over and over again. But where we don't, where we give in, you know, then our influence deteriorates. And, and people look to us and go, you know, who, who are you again and, and, and what are you doing? Oh, that's, that's strange. And we're just kind of shrugged off. Whereas we need to live lives where people take notice and go, there's something uniquely different about these people. And we see that in, in, you know, in the book of Daniel. We, we, we see that throughout scripture, that there was something unique that, that made people notice and go, okay, I, I want to know who this, this God is. We've got to ask ourselves that question in everything that we do. Yeah, that is, uh, see, that, that is it. And, and I agree. And my, my thoughts are as, as simple as this. It's, I don't believe, we don't know this, but I don't believe that that was the first time that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to make a decision like that. Usually we don't come to the fiery furnace and like, okay, are we going to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar or not? The reason why they chose not to in that moment was probably the 15,000 little moments that they've had to follow the Lord and to be faithful to Yahweh before that. And I think the way forward is to find the 15,000 ways for us in our daily lives to be faithful to God. Um, that I think we can discern of how are we to be people who are completely rooted in the citizenship of the kingdom of God because of the finished work of Christ on our behalf, and then thus so be the most faithful citizens in the place that we've been called to seek the prosperity and the welfare for as America. And then to find ourselves first and foremost being identified, um, not with our nation or our culture, and in some ways even our ethnicities, but first and foremost, who we are in Christ that begins to shed light into all those other identities that we have as woman and as a, as a man, as black, as Asian, as Latino, as an American, as a father, as a mother, all of those things moving forward so that we can be faithful to God in the kingdom of Christ. And so I think, I think for me, pastorally, that that's where I land. And um, I know we're, we're coming to a close here. So, so One, I can't wait for you to be back out here again to be with our people. Um, I appreciate you being able to join us here on this podcast. Your thoughts are always helpful. They're always good. And appreciate you, brother. Yes. Yeah, man. I appreciate the opportunity, guys. And and I'm looking forward to being out there with you guys. And, um, you know, I I say this often to to Ricardo that, you know, we stand on your shoulders in terms of what you're doing in terms of spreading the gospel and and how you're thinking about multiplication is something that we're thinking about and, and really, you know, taking steps towards and and so I'm thankful for your faithfulness. I'm thankful for you know the community that you have there, and you guys are just a massive encouragement to to what you know what we're trusting God to do here in our context. So thank you. Yeah, mm. awesome. Thank you. Well, both One and Ricardo, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, there's always so much more that I want to be able to unpack, but unfortunately, this is a 40, 45 minute podcast and we just can't solve it all. So um, if you guys have any questions, as always, you can shoot me an email at greglindsay at redemptionaz.com and uh, we'll pick it back up again for our fourth week of the Exile series. So thanks again for joining us. This is the podcast of Redemption Tempe, where we believe that all of life is is all for Jesus.